Welcome to Modern Figures Podcast, hosted by Dr. Jeremy Waysom and Dr. Kyla McMullen, where we are elevating the voices of Black women in computing to inspire the next generation of the advanced technology workforce. This podcast exists to highlight the stories of Black women in computing, to inspire high schoolers and the young at heart, and to dispel the myths and preconceptions about Black women in computing. This podcast wouldn't be possible without our sponsors. This season is generously supported by NCWIT and CRAWP. The National Center for Women and Information Technology, or NCWIT, is a nonprofit community that convenes, equips, and unites change leader organizations to increase the influential and meaningful participation of girls and women in technology. And the Computing Research Association's Committee on Widening Participation in Computing, or CRAWP, endeavors to increase the success and participation of underrepresented groups in computing research and education at all levels. Today we have Dr. Monica Cox with us and I'm super excited because she is someone in my discipline in engineering education. Dr. Cox was born in Shorterville, Georgia, and basically grew up in Newville, Alabama. Um, She says she's from all the Vills, though, in that general area. Currently, she's a distinguished full professor of engineering at The Ohio State University. Um, And she's also the CEO of a company called Steminent, which we will talk about soon. She has a BS in mathematics from Spelman College a master's in industrial engineering from the University of Alabama and a PhD in leadership and policy studies from Vanderbilt University. She's had lots of roles in her very distinguished career. Um, She served as inaugural department chair in engineering education at Ohio State. Uh, She's gone from assistant to associate professor at Purdue University, where she was the first African-American woman to earn tenure in the College of Engineering at Purdue. She is a 2020 fellow of the American Society for Engineering Education, our professional organization for engineering education. She once served as the director for the state of Indiana's Lewis Stokes Alliance for Minority Participation. And she was the inaugural director of the engineering leadership minor at Purdue. She has done so many things in our field, including focusing on research that infuses equity in STEM education. And she explores the experiences of women of color in the workplace. She's led many uh, multidisciplinary projects and collaborated on those with funding upwards of $20 million. And she's also authored over 130 scholarly publications. If that wasn't enough to tell you who this incredible woman is, she also has a ridiculous following on social media. So if you ever want to see what it looks like to become famous on the internet um, as an engineer, Dr. Cox is the person to find and follow. Uh, Kyla and I personally enjoy all of the shenanigans that go on. <laughs> Definitely. Um, and her brand is really like her. It's not anything else. Um, she has some sayings, especially stop playing diversity, which is one of my favorite. Um, she, you can get a mug. You can get a mug, a t-shirt, <laughs> uh, several other things yep. to remind people stop playing with you. 
Um, and she is just someone who lives authentically online and in person. So this is who she is for real. We actually met her. Um, well, I should say Kyla met her because I met her years prior. But we interviewed her previously on the Engineering Change podcast. Um, so Yvette Pearson is the host of that. And she invited us to do like a collaboration with her. And so Kyla got to connect with Monica like virtually that way. But I met her actually at an ASEE conference where I was introduced to her and I had a full fangirl moment in front of her. I don't know if she remembers that, (laughs) but she was so kind to me in spite of my ridiculousness. Um, She has a lot of hobbies. She likes to read. She motivates people. She inspires so many, even though she doesn't really know it. And she's got a lot of side hustles and we'll encourage you to get some too. So that's Dr. Monica Cox. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that great introduction. Man, I'm a little embarrassed, but <laughs> yes. I, Why? I, I, <laughs> because there is even a story where you talked about the social media part. Um, I didn't really believe that, but I've only traveled maybe three times this year. Really in the pandemic, I've only traveled three times. And every time I go somewhere, um, if I'm introduced, someone's like, I follow you on Twitter mm-hmm. and they want to take a selfie. And it does happen all the time. And I was just in a professional meeting introducing myself and a woman started shaking this table. And then I was like, what's wrong with you? And they're like, that's Dr. Monica. And <laughs> it was just weird. weird. Like, I bought some mugs and I did this and I did that. And so I, I don't realize the impact because I'm just out there sharing and doing what I do. So thank you so yeah, much. You're just living your life and it's fabulous. <laughs> Authentically. <laughs> like I think the word authentic is the important part there. Mm-hmm. So we're really going to try to dig into how you came to be your authentic self in a space. That's typically not something that you see from black female engineers or black engineers or people in general. Right. Um, I think that's, yeah probably going to be the theme throughout this but we really want to know like what it was like growing up in where is it newville alabama yeah you know what um it was good it was southeast and it was it was kind of stereotypical so when you think about the confederate flags and all that yeah i pretty much grew up there home of the confederacy uh, you know, took the field trips to the Confederate prisons, like just weird stuff. Jefferson what? Davis. Yes, that was our fourth grade field trip because my principal loved the Civil War. And so all the fourth graders had to go to Andersonville. And that was our field trip. So we learned about the Confederacy. <laughs> and I was thinking about this too. Like we watched North and South. I don't know if you know about that, but like the mm-hmm. mini series, we watched North and South. Um, we, we, they were about that life. Like I grew up when people were were. <laughs> honoring the confederacy and i would say i remember being in an auditorium and one of my moments you talk about authenticity um you know everybody was just glorifying stuff and i raised my hand and i said um i'm really glad that the south didn't win because i didn't want to be a slave (laughs) i just (laughs) like that was the conversation that we had of how i was not going to be enslaved and i don't know why people wanted to glorify that life yeah so did, that what was me. the response to that did they just looked at me looked at me kind of crazy but what i loved about the environment is that i was still allowed to say that so many mm-hmm. people think 
that you can't speak that. But I argued mm. with my classmates. I wore political shirts in high school. I did all of those things that really um, went against oppression, but we just all agreed to disagree. And it was just a very different culture. And because mm -hmm. I was um, brought up in a school system that was K through 12, these were the same people I went to kindergarten with and I graduated with them, but I ended up being um, SGA president. I ended up being elected to stuff, although I was the only black person in my um, in my classes, just because people saw who people were, like their characters. I had good character. We were a community and it wasn't as black or white as you would think it would be because we just looked out for each other. And in a way, I wish that our society was like that, where, you know, people can have their Confederate flag, I could wear my Malcolm X shirt or whatever, but we come together as humans and we just understand that at the end of the day, we are a part of a, a common community. So that's what I learned. And I feel like that's how I can get along with almost anyone, <laughs> because at the end of the day, we can find a way to connect if we really look hard enough. So did you take any... So oh. you've been outspoken a long time. Oh, sorry. You've been outspoken a very long time, I'm hearing. <laughs> My entire life. Entire life. Entire life. And it was encouraged. My parents encouraged me to be that way, to think and to be bold and to question. That's all I know. Yeah. I know your parents were like a huge influence on your life. And so growing up, were they yeah. like the people who kind of pushed you in terms of like your interest in school to pursue like a STEM related discipline? Um, a little bit. So my father was about 43 or 44 when I was born. So he was in the military in the 1950s. Um, he traveled um, around the world and he was exposed. You know, he was a, a guy from the backwoods of Alabama, but he knew that there was more out there. And I feel that that always informed my um, my life. Uh, my parents were school teachers, so they were really um, connected to the community. They taught during segregation. And I often tell people a little bit of history. My mom's, no, the school where my parents went to school was built by Rosa Parks' father. So wow. to kind of see that history. Yeah. And my father also went to school at Alabama State in the 1950s during the Montgomery Civil Rights Movement. Wow. And one thing that I often tell people is that he would tell me the story about, um, like, I remember asking him, like, how did people just not walk? I mean, how did they not take the bus? Like, it, Montgomery was big. Mm -hmm. And he said, you just did it. He said people gave rides to each other. And there were bombings all the time beyond what you saw. Like they would they would um, go to the cafeteria on Sundays and somebody would say, like, this church was bombed today. And it was just a way of life. And like the last thing that I know is that, you know, he often said the governor had a mandate and he said any professor at Alabama State who participated in the bus boycott would be fired and any student would be expelled. So he was dictating really similar to what we see today, trying to dictate people's rights and saying that he would take away their educations and their livelihoods personally from the governor's mansion down the street at Alabama State University in HBCU. And I see that because that's who raised mm -hmm. me. 
my father saw all this and he was a very gentle man um very quiet but he all he knew my he told me to believe in my rights he told me to speak up and that and i never knew what he was doing until i was older and i realized oh everybody doesn't feel free to speak like this everyone isn't confident in their rights everyone doesn't understand that these are the freedoms that are afford afforded to them so um yeah and to answer your question um my father this was in like the early 80s he enrolled me in a computer class at a community college and i have a picture somewhere where i was there um maybe how old was i then i had to be like six or seven and they had like the big desktops the big computers and he just always put me in classes like that typing computer whatever was there he just exposed me to it he was not a stem person he was a medic in the um in the army but if there was anything connected to science computers um he did it that's super cool that was it very cool yeah so somehow through your exposure you know with the classes like was there anything specifically like in your high school that helped to further like put you in that direction because somehow you ended up at Spelman to study math so was this something like that because like, <laughs> so I doubt funny. that the counselors at your school knew anything about a Spelman right. <laughs> no, no it's a very interesting story in that um, once again, my dad um, just took me to a lot of camps, like engineering camps. And I just started applying to engineering because I realized that I could get scholarships. Yeah. And I was bright, valedictorian in my class. So um, I applied to three universities, Florida A&M, Tuskegee, and Spelman. And I got full, um, full rides to all of them. And I did not even visit Spelman before I went. Um, mm -hmm. I just knew I wanted to go. I received a call from Dr. Etta Faulkner, who was over the, the scholarship on um, the Women in Science and Engineering program through NASA. And um, she said, you have a full scholarship. You've been selected by, um, what is it, Kennedy Space Center and also Marshall Space, Space Flight Center in Alabama. And you could go and intern there in the summer. And at first I was like, oh, well, this is just like tuition. And she said, no, it's a full ride and you get to work there in the summer. So I said, I'm going to Spelman and be a part of the program. And that was it. So that was my path. Um, yeah. So you worked at it. one of the space centers? Yeah, Marshall, Marshall Space Flight Center. Um, I was there for four summers and I was a gym fellow. So I was there as well, working with um, people who did ground payload operations for the International Space Station. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's pretty That's serious, amazing. pretty serious job, you know? <laughs> and the fact yeah. that Spelman said, we're just not only gonna pay for you, but we're also gonna put you in this position, this very important position money. every single summer and make some money and have this experience and this knowledge. Yeah. So were you amazing. also like a boss as an undergrad? <laughs> <laughs> a boss. Um, the personality was always there, <laughs> but because <laughs> I came from a rural environment and so I had to study really hard. Um, I was behind. I did not have AP classes. I didn't mm. have even calculus. 
So I was just a, a hard worker. And um, I went back to give a lecture. It was the Dr. Faulkner's memorial lecture. And one of my teachers said I was the one who would always cry. And she always told her math students about me and how I became a professor and I worked really hard. So um, they were just really proud of me. And I feel like I'm just a person who found the resources and I just did the work to be successful and I don't take it for granted. So it was a blessing, a full circle moment. That's beautiful. Thank you. And I like the fact that you could struggle at an HBCU in the beginning, because I feel like if it had been at a PWI, there might've been like imposter syndrome and all these other things to be like, oh, do I actually belong here versus I'm amongst my own people. I'm going to figure it out. Like you said, I'm going to get the resources and, you know, they invite you back to (laughs) to give a talk. Absolutely. And you know what got me? It was just, I mean, I was just really disturbed that I could come from one place and my classmates came from other places, but they did so well. And this is a story too. I feel you. I I tell you, I have so many stories. We love stories. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. We want to hear them all. (laughs) Yes, when I got to my summer science and engineering program, uh, my roommate was from Houston. And we were talking about, like, what are our parents doing? Where are we from? And, you know, I was like, oh, my parents are teachers. I'm from Alabama. And she said, "Um, my dad's an astronaut. (laughs) And (laughs) I didn't know, you know, Black people, I knew there were some astronauts. But, you know, I don't know Black astronauts. I don't know them personally. Yeah. And so... Dad, so her name is Kelly, and Kelly's dad was Charlie Bolden, who mm-hmm. ended up being the NASA administrator. Yeah. And at the time, I think he was commander for the Hubble Space Telescope, so telescope cool. mission. And so understand the bar, like coming from oh Alabama, like HBCU. My my um classmate, my roommate was STEM personified, <laughs> right, on another level. Uh-huh dad doing a profession that the typical person can't do so it was i mean and then i had other classmates whose parents were professors Mm -hmm. one was a professor in north carolina state she's an um, electrical engineer another whose dad was like a business professor i think at famu and the other tidbit is that there were 13 of us who got the scholarship that year three of us ended up being engineering professors Three of us got NSF Early Career Awards. Three of us were Presidential Early Career Award mm. um, winner. Wow. And so it was like one class, one cohort. That's amazing. One cohort of people from one, one university. All I think black there needs to be like a longitudinal no, a college, study in Just one college. Right, from one, one college. That's true. One college, one cohort, you know, class of 94, wow. three women, Presidential Award winners, engineering when the numbers are so low um, in engineering so those are my classmates mm. and we've had a good number of people from spelman on the podcast and i'm like there needs to be some kind of spelman documentary there, there for STEM because <laughs> i agree there's something about that that upbringing upbringing like like they're our parents or something but you know what i'm saying <laughs> i mean in a way they are because you leave the nest and that's your second set of parents once you love home mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely and i think one thing i would want to leave with your listeners is that 
I used to talk about those those two um, colleagues I had because they were 4.0 students. I was maybe like cum laude, which is still great, <laughs> but they were like the summa. And um, I just remembered years later just being like, you know, you all were always so smart. You were the ones that went to Georgia Tech, you know, got those 4.0s. And my friend said something so profound. She said, you're in the same place where we are. So it didn't it? matter <laughs> that you started in this rural place. We all got to the White House. Amen. We all got. I got we all chills got thinking to- about this. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's real. And I mean, that's part of why we are here, right? To be able to tell people like, none of this really matters, right? Like, are you going to let a GPA define you? Are you going to let like what your parents did or where you grew up define you? Or are you going to change whatever needs to be changed for you to reach the goals that you're trying to reach? Absolutely. Because it it really is hard work, right? Like that's it. It is. It is. And, And one nugget that I had, even when I was a professor, like people used to ask me this all the time. And these were, um, majority people who, um, would kind of be like, well, given your story, like, how did you end up where you are? Like, people were truly, I mean, people were truly fascinated, like, you know, first Black women to earn tenure at the College of Engineering, like, what was it that got you to this place? How, how is your story this way? And I often tell people, I didn't think from a deficit perspective, Mm -hmm. my parents didn't raise me perspective. So I never saw that I couldn't be president of the United States. I couldn't be inaugural department chair. Like nothing ever limited me. I I just didn't maybe know what it mm-hmm. was, but I grew up, you know, in my formative years, just believing that I deserve to be at the table. I deserve to be a leader if that's what I wanted to be. Like there was never any barrier and that is what you see and it's so funny because you think about kids like i have a little kid and um i had a that's another story too had a um, (laughs) in my early 40s and to see the um openness Mm -hmm. the innocence of a child we lose that as an adult and so a lot of the authenticity that you see is my actually going back to my childhood and the core of who I am and just making sure that when I'm engaging with people, it is that sincerity. It is that kindness. It is like what we are taught to be the love that we are taught to have as children. That is what I want to display as an adult. And people think that it's so weird, but no, it's me just retaining the core and some of the purity that I just never wanted to lose. Mm -hmm. I chose you know mm-hmm. yeah. yeah someone asked me once like you know why do you like working with college students so much and i'm like well they're at this wonderful age where they're just out of high school they're adults but the world has not beaten all of their hopes and dreams and ideas <laughs> out of them like college students have the best ideas because no one's told them no you can't do that and, and if they can't you know you kind of guide them in the right direction but there's you know there's something about that authentic the sky's the limit i can do anything you know sort of mindset mm-hmm. yeah and you have to work that. deliberately mm-hmm. but but it's because the system no, we're talking about the systems, you know, to get the rewards, to pay the bills, to to do all the things that we're supposed to do as adults. Yeah. The system tells you 
form, but there's a whole mentality. And I only learned this maybe over the past five years where you have to be confident enough to say, I own this, I own who I am, even if the system doesn't reward it. And that hurts you as a person. Mm -hmm. Like, think about it. Like, nature is, I want the blue ribbon. I want the title. I want the best. I want all those things. But when you truly are confident in who you are and you're like, I own me, I own who I am, even if no one else owns it, like, that's a different level of satisfaction and happiness, even if you are working in a system. So I want to go back to like your educational trajectory. Um, so you got a okay. master's degree in industrial engineering. Why industrial engineering? Yeah, excuse me. So my undergrad degree was in math and I was trying to think what would be aligned with my interests. And I like fixing things. <laughs> I like people. And industrial engineering was very, um, it was process oriented, but there was a human factor to it. Um, the productivity was there, the project management, just really caring about the system. Mm -hmm. Once again, um, that's what I loved. And I just wanted to pursue my passion. And so that was it. I just felt I could make things, systems, people better by going into industrial engineering and using mathematics in a way you know, and to do mm -hmm. it. Did anybody at Spelman like encourage you to go to grad school? Cause you could have just worked at NASA right after mm -hmm. you were finished, you know, since you had all that expertise. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite stories about going to grad school, um, was when Dr. Dr. Faulkner, um, she was one of the first black women to get a doctorate in mathematics in the U S um, she was from Tupelo, Mississippi. And her mentor, by the way, was the second Black woman to get oh, wow. in the U.S. A small circle. Absolutely. And she she, um, she pulled me in and said that they had three graduate fellowships. And she wanted to know if I wanted to go to grad school. <laughs> and I said, um, Dr. Faulkner, I am not like, you know, this person's name. I'm not like that person's name. They have the 4.0s. And she said, we Southern girls have to stick together. You've always underestimated yourself and you can do this. So the fact that Dr. Faulkner told me that I could go to graduate school and that she had a fellowship from NASA, if I wanted it, I was like, okay, I could do it. And that really propelled me. And that's me. all it takes. Like that's it. That's all it takes. <laughs> It is. And I wrote a book, Demystifying the Engineering PhD, put a plug mm, yes. out there. Yeah. Um, this was my presidential award um, research in engineering education. And I asked people, like, what was their motivation for getting an engineering PhD? And you're right. There were so many people who said someone in my class, my professor, mm -hmm. who I took whatever statics with, um, said that I could do it. And I was like, oh, maybe I should get a PhD. And it is that simple where you <laughs> see talent in the student and you're like, hey, I know you don't know that you can actually go to grad school, but you can be successful. That's simple. Having a conversation, calling somebody out. Yes. Wow. It's amazing. <laughs> yes. That's literally all it takes. And it's amazing how like that small amount of dialogue leads to a whole changed life trajectory for someone. 
Yes, that's the power of being a professor, the power of higher education. And unfortunately, there are so many people who turn people off. I was just about to say, it goes both ways, right? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, it does. I have emotions with that thought, so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you said that a literal face popped into my head, and I was like, ooh, child, we won't go there today. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Go ahead, Jeremy. I just, I have so many thoughts. I just don't even know where to begin. So you're talking about your presidential award and, and the research that you did. Um, right. I know this is not related to this trajectory, but since we're talking about it, I want to know what else you found because mm-hmm. I know there's more. Um. Oh, my favorite finding. I'll tell you my favorite because I do have favorites. Um. <laughs> and this is what has changed my life as well. It's funny how your own research can change you. Um, there's this framework called stewardship. And uh, Chris Goldie at Stanford is a higher education researcher. And um, it's an older, older document, I mean, older book. And it's, she pretty much asks, what does it mean to be a steward of a discipline? Mm-hmm. So stewardship from a doctoral perspective. And she has these three elements, generation, which is creating um, research or, or, you know, just new knowledge, establishing new knowledge. Conservation is the second one, which is preserving the knowledge of the field. And the third is transformation. And if you read her book, she was very, very um, vague about transformation. And she said, it's teaching in the broadest sense of the word. It's like, what does that mean? (laughs) And so in my research, you know, I, I had these 40 engineering PhD holders, my team and I, and we just started asking people about what transformation looks like in engineering. And it is everything from email communication. It's mentoring people in industry. It is outreach with um, students. It is giving, um, you know, classroom teaching. It's it's everything. And so my aha is, and while I'm, you talked about social media, I said, you know what? Transformation is social media. Transformation is when I tweet. Transformation is when I do a TikTok. Transformation is when I share my research and my experiences with people who will never enter my classroom. And that is what motivates me to also be so active on social media, because as other people would really try to say, it's a waste of time. Mm -hmm. You know, you're just trying to get attention. It's not scholarly. But it is because research says that when you look at underrepresented communities, we're more likely to be on social media. That's where we use and learn and communicate. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give a 30 second, one minute TikTok that tells you about what it is to be a professor so that that's representation. You're not going to find me in my classroom. You're not. So... (laughs) That's the thing that forever changed my life. And if I could just get more scholars to understand that their dissemination is also getting their behinds out on YouTube and in podcasts and other spaces, that's going to multiply Mm -hmm. their impact. Mm -hmm. That's 100. I had to ask that question. (laughs) Yes. I'm glad I asked you. Y'all know this, so... Oh, yeah. I mean, clearly we are disseminating YouTube, Insta, Twitter, podcast apps. We're not on the tickety-talk. I don't have the patience. Yeah, we, we're not on TikTok yet. 
<laughs> maybe one day if we get like a, a young intern or something. I don't think we have the capacity. Maybe when Amara is old enough. <laughs> yes, Amara can be our intern and do the tickety talk for us. <laughs> but you know what? It also comes back to entrepreneurship. And I know that you all um, are entrepreneurs as well. And I feel that um, there's also that piece of academia. Like if we really want to be independently wealthy, if we want to be free, then we need to also see how all these people were, I'm gonna go off for go a minute. Ahead, so girl, I'm gonna need y'all to go ahead. Go ahead. We've seen people on Instagram, right? So let's talk about PhDs. Like it's us and we have our boxes. We're like, let me pay, you know, five thousand dollars for a paper to, to publish a paper versus these people on IG who are coaches and oh. they have like these million dollar coaching businesses. Oh, oh my god. And we are so like <laughs> I can't, I can't, nobody's going to learn from me. Nobody's going to do whatever. Baby, <laughs> people don't have these degrees. They put on, they slap on a wig right. and makeup. Right. They're like, you can come to my course for $255 mm-hmm. an hour. And they get money. Buku money. Yeah. Y'all, what are we doing? So can we even talk yeah. about, it's the mentality of how higher ed has put us in a box. And it's like, oh, your value is mm-hmm. this. But there are people who didn't get the same training. You're talking about trajectories. And they're like, baby, I can make $30 million a year just going on Instagram and talking yeah. and doing things. I don't have to overthink it. So right. think about like there. Carrie Ann Rockmore. She's like, okay, I got tenure. And guess what? I'm going to show other people how to get where I am. And that's now going to be my job. Now I'm going to have this seven-figure company. <laughs> oh, guess what? I don't work at the university anymore. I am now retired. <laughs> So I think she's like the perfect example of stepping out of that box and like looking at your skill set, not in terms of how the university defines you, but how you define yourself and what value you can add for others. Absolutely. And I feel like there's also this mindset that if you do that, you're a failure. Mm -hmm. Academia Mm -hmm. makes you think Mm -hmm. that if if you're not a full professor, if you don't just wait it out then you did not succeed. And I'm just, Mm -hmm. I'm here to really tell people that narrative is something that you really have to push against because yes, it's a lot. And and one thing I also saw, I feel like it starts at the masters because I was talking to a student and they were like, yeah, I didn't do my PhD. I mastered out. I'm like, what does that mean? Like, oh, I just, just got a master's. I'm like, do you realize just, just got a master's? Like we're start, we're basically taught to devalue ourselves unless we got to the PhD, then you get the PhD. Oh, I stopped at a system. Like there's always this next thing where it makes you feel like you're less than for not getting the next thing. So yeah, we have to. It's very hierarchical. And that's, and that's the media part too. You have to be careful not to buy into that because it's the same mentality of, oh, you have a podcast. Oh, you're choosing to do IG or you're doing reels or you're whatever. That's not a paper. You're less than. Yeah. And, right. Well, they don't know how to. It's it just to like evaluation. It. Absolutely. Yeah, they want. It doesn't fit into the H index. <laughs> it does not. It does not. The podcast does not have an H index, but like I have a really nice narrative in my tenure packet that's basically mm-hmm. like, I'm a black woman who is uniquely positioned to affect people in this way. This is why I do what I do. And the end. The end. Go kick rocks. Like, I'm going to affect people the way that my white colleagues cannot. So why would I just say, oh, no, I need to check the same boxes they're checking. No, they can't affect people the same way that I can because of my lived experiences and what I've been through. So 
Yeah, academia definitely does not know how to, you know, make it, like you said, make it an H index <laughs> for all the other pieces that we do. And I will say, Absolutely. I think some places are trying to figure out how they do a better job at that, right? Like they're, they're at least engaging yeah. in conversations. And I think if you're in a place where they're not, I would be very wary of that because yeah. ultimately, like, if if we don't evolve, higher education is going to go away, right? Like, yeah. Why do I need to pay all this money real for pyramid scheme more? right now? Yeah, it is. It is right. Like, it's looking real pyramid scheme, especially in computing, right? Like, I can go yeah. and do this boot camp and get a six figure job tomorrow. Get these certifications. Right. Pivot. <laughs> So what, what can y'all tell me, you know? Yeah. And, you know, one other thing that also is really interesting, and I think about it, like as a distinguished professor of engineering, you know, as someone who is in the rooms now when there are no other women of color, I just think if I don't hold on, there's not someone right behind me who's going to come into this room. Like there's also that pressure that I think you feel as you also ascend because you, you could see how conversations go wrong. If you were not there, you like, you know yes. what? <laughs> I had to do this. When I hired this person. This person wouldn't have gotten promoted. And I just feel like there's such, there's so much heaviness also and that's the thing that also kind of keeps me there because you get to that space and you see how easy it is to, to go back to the oppressive space if you're not the one who speaks up and shows up and pushes. So, so that's a different conversation. Okay. But yes. you have a PhD in leadership and policy studies. So I think like you're also uniquely positioned in terms of what you've learned academically to see the structure, mm -hmm. to really understand policy and leadership and all of that and like how to right. affect change. And I feel like people, especially on social media, don't understand, you know, you're not just saying stuff on the internet, like some of these other quote unquote influencers, <laughs> like you, this is your work. It is. It is. It is. Observations, the systems, and like you said, the policy. People like really putting ideas out there to say this is what needs to happen. And I'll even give you another example. Um, last night, maybe around this time, there was a lot of mess blowing up email and on the internet because my university's president was poised to resign. So media outlets were like, she's about to resign. Um, there was a student, how did I find out? Students in a class found the articles that said that our president was about to resign. They started asking the professors and then the professor started looking and then we started being <laughs> like, what's going on? And by 7.30, um, the president sent an email across the university saying that she was resigning. And I got on social and I started thinking about this. You know what? You can play the game, you could be extremely safe, but it does not protect you. Mm. If the board of trustees, if the alums don't like you, it does not matter if you code switch, it does not matter if you assimilate, it's just time for you to go. And that is the game that higher education plays. And that's why I tell people, um, make sure you have your own stuff. 
make sure that you have something that puts you in a space where you are able to have your livelihood, you're able to maintain the purpose and and the vision that you have for your life. And I also, like my aha prophetic thing that I will say, and I've always said this, um, I used to want to be a university president and I wrote this yesterday. Um, At 19, I met Dr. Janetta B. Cole. I don't know if you know who she is, but you know, amazing, amazing woman who has been a scholar multiple times um, over um, just has worked broadly in the African-American community. And, you know, I'm like, that's my goal. But a couple of years ago, again, I said, that's too small. Mm-hmm. Because when you are a university president, when you're a provost, when you're an administrator, you are bound to that institution and to the rules of that institution. And if you want to say, oh, I'm going to transform, I'm going to dismantle, that's not your call. Mm-hmm. If the mission the vision and the people don't want to do what is in you to do, then you're either going to have to conform or you're going to have to get out of that system or you're going to have to just, you know, do your own thing and not be an administrator because you, you have to play, you have to pay to play. Is that it? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like that is, you give a bit of your professional soul yeah. to an organization when you are in leadership. Mm-hmm. You always Especially have to. at these state schools. Yeah. <laughs> You do you do you're not you're not taking down anything i don't care how bold you think you are no nope. that's not gonna if happen the governor tell you to stop or the <laughs> trustees or whoever, whoever you know if you're not yeah yeah you can't be the rebel because you're gonna rebel your behind right out and Correct. um you know i just say the vision is that we have to we have to get above the institutions that's why i talk about social media because the ideas and the people we have to talk outside of our faculty mm-hmm. meetings we have to talk outside of the physical spaces where we are because the the revolution the protests all those things the movements are happening at a higher level they're happening behind the scenes they're happening in the dms they're they're you know doing they're different that is that is the counter um, narrative, so to speak, of a system that was not built for us. You know, and I'm not trying to like put the secret sauce out there, but for anyone who thinks, you know, oh, I'm going to play the game and it's going to work for me and then I'll be able to change. Like we talked about this. Oh, I'll get tenure and I'll change. I'll be a full professor and I'll change. No, baby, the system knows you as that person. And if you change that... <laughs> That's weird. What I mean, yeah, kind of, but your credibility is now connected to who how you were. always been. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You and your identity is that. So there's a lot. And I just feel there are just the next generation of scholars, like people young, you know, I'm saying young, you're young, I'm young. Mm-hmm. But you know, the scholars like you and a lot of other um people I see who are out on social who are just being so authentic, they're going to have to um, operate in a model that is very different from what we are used to seeing. Yeah. To be successful. Like in the model, I feel like it's changing as society's changing. Like, as Jeremy was saying, like they're starting to see, be more talk of, okay, let's count service. Let's count these other things in people's narratives. So I feel like, yeah, the university is definitely a slow moving ship, but um, like you said, you're going to look weird initially. There's going to be these growing pains, but to fully transform, like you're going to buck the system a few times. And, you know, it's, I'm like, I guess it's part of, part of the process. I think of myself as like 
new Monica. <laughs> I had to say that because I just thought about it. <laughs> I could hear the bull. New Monica. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, I, I don't think that I am someone who likes to, like, shake up and dismantle systems. But I do like to speak truth. And so, like, when yeah. I'm in meetings, I tell people exactly what I'm thinking because I think it's important mm. that they have a voice of someone who, like, I'm new here. And if I'm new and I'm uncomfortable, think of all the people who've been here and how uncomfortable they must be, right? When we're doing things yeah. to bring in people who think differently you know, we're, we have different ideas of how the world is like all these millennial faculty members that they're hiring, right? Like millennials, as people tend to tell us, you know, we're a hot mess, right? We got a lot of different thoughts about the world and we're going to share them. Yeah. Um, and we're not often allowed to be at the table, but because I've been at my institution forever, all the people who are kind of moving towards the top, they know who I am. And so they, they value my honesty and my truth. I wish that more people had that in other places. Cause I do feel like they don't, right? Like I can't, I can't exactly. go and talk to my Dean and tell them how I really feel. Right. I'm not going to tell yeah. them, this is what happened. Listen, yeah. So, so we, we, we have like a real community where we are, where it's just like, it wasn't us, right? Like we didn't hire each other. We were all hired and then we found each other and yeah. we're really strategic about decisions that we make together and like the things that we'll push for and ask for. But you have to have like people like you who have some power behind what they say to move the needle. Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah. I, I think it's hard when everyone tells you like, you can't say that don't say X, Y, and Z. You're constantly encouraged to like quiet yourself um, yeah. for someone else's comfort really. Yeah. And I think it breaks your spirit a little bit. Like that's the thing that I've realized over time that um, if you're not careful, so much of that will, will change mm -hmm. you as a human. And um, that's really unfortunate. And I think as part of the work that I do, you know, I want people to be aware of who they are before they enter these environments, because I've seen relationships um, break up as a result of higher ed. I've seen people just change because they just weren't grounded in who they were. So that's one part. Um, I do think that, um, you know, it is, it is important for us to, I don't know, what was I going to say? Like one piece of advice I would say is that as long as you do your work, you also can be outspoken. Like you are there to be a faculty member but the more successful you are, like, remember, you know, I had the career award, I had the PKs, you know, I proved that I could do my work. And I, that also opens doors for you too. And so being a really good scholar, paying attention to your work um, is a form of activism as well. It's, it's, it gets you the insurance that you need to be able to speak up, to say, you know what? Yeah, I may clown around a little bit, but I know my stuff, you know, I can right. give y'all 15 
differences. Like, <laughs> let me flip that script, you know, that switch on real quick yeah. and show you that I'm a scholar. And then I'm going to come back over here and do something else. But always, yeah. you have to be okay not. And that's what I want young people to know because, you know, I teach my students and my students are ready to be activists from day one. And it's, you've been there for two uh. weeks. And I'm like, sweetheart, <laughs> learn some stuff. You got to read. Yeah. Literature, you got to write. You have to really because you don't know what you're activating about yet. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So, oh my goodness, yeah. that is so true. Like when you said that, that reminded me of like I was on a um, a committee at the college level with you know there's all associate deans and chairs and all these folks, and this is me pre tenure on this thing, and we're talking about. I don't, don't want to give details because people could be able to associate who say what, but we're talking about a solution to a problem everybody's going on and on about the dumbest solution. I was like, I'm sorry, y'all, we have to stop. This is not, this does not make sense. And I had to, I just went down the list of this, what the research says, this is da, 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 da. There was silence. And then slowly someone goes, you know what? That's right. You know what? You are correct. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, but we've been going on for about 25 minutes about the dumbest possible solution. <laughs> and all of y'all are at a higher pay grade than me. We are in trouble. Right. <laughs> we are in trouble if y'all think this is correct. But yeah, it's about like, I guess, like you said, like knowing the research, knowing your stuff and being able to voice it from that perspective and, you know, that people knowing you as a scholar and knowing your stuff, because then people listen and we did not march down that terribly incorrect. Listen, uh, that happened to me a few days, like, <laughs> like not a few days, like a month ago. And I was like, OK, we're going to submit this proposal and you're proposing to do something that's like the literature that just came out that was like all over everywhere. Mm-hmm. tells us do not do this and you literally have this language like delete that i want to do it what we do cite this <laughs> please don't yeah yeah it's like it's enraging sometimes to see like oh we're gonna change everything we're gonna make it better and it's like but what you're proposing to do is worse like it's bad right and i, I feel like there's gonna be some term if there isn't one already and it's like the covid response term or something because you know, people change real quick. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone's like, oh, we, we can't, you know, we can't do online learning. But you know what? When y'all about to lose some dollars, all of a sudden, everybody learned how to use those computers and Zoom. <laughs> sure did. Sure did. I know the disability community was like, oh, everybody was saying you couldn't have conferences accessible. But guess what y'all learned how to do during COVID? Yes, For the money. And, and I feel like mm-hmm. this is another, like, soapbox in a way. But, like, you look at, you know, racial equity you look at what was happening around the same time, people do what they want to do. That's what my mind mm-hmm. is so, you know, we do what we want to do. Y'all wanted to do COVID. Um, like y'all wanted, not COVID, but y'all wanted to yeah. respond. You know, wanted yeah. to be online. You wanted people to be safe. You wanted to have policies and practices and remote work and mm-hmm. you just shifted everything. But y'all still haven't worked on your diversity Ooh. plans. You still aren't doing some stuff. So guess what? That's your choice. Hello. I'm gonna just so we don't talk about that one enough. I'm gonna just doodle over here. <laughs> them diversity plans have <laughs> dust on them, and I had to. I had. I was invited to do a talk at your rival university, oh, and I had to read to them their diversity plan. I was like, "Y'all are integrating people into a burning building. Like, why is everything focused on outreach? We need to just." 
quench the fire in the building, and then we can worry about getting other people in here. But them diversity plans, I think people just wrote them to say they had them. But we we have a different. Tra- <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. You know, but people got people got scared in 2020. Like somebody's about to come and 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 burn something down. Like like there was this real fear, and I just think that we're getting comfortable again. You know, people are like let's go back to normal, but no, there is no back to normal. And you know, it gets to another topic where. Um, you know, there are a lot of people who benefited from that, you know, controversial topic, you know, people who got hired, a lot of resources went out there and we have to also evaluate what people have done in our own communities. Mm-hmm. The ones who access now that you're in the seat, are you doing yeah, the work? What you doing? Are you are you informed? Are you bringing in other people who are scholars of color who can speak to these things? Or are you just a puppet? Are you a figurehead in this position? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. And <laughs> we need a diversity okay. plan. We need a DEI audit on Listen, some of these positions. But that's a we're, whole we're conversation getting... <laughs> for another podcast. We're trying to figure out Monica's Correct. life. Still... So, <laughs> yes. You like worked as an engineer, correct? Um, at NASA a little bit, yes. So what made you decide academia, that's it for me? Let's see, can I say this out loud? (laughs) You sure can. It was like my being an internal. (laughs) It was just, it was just not, it just wasn't it Mm. for me. I liked research, liked new research problems. And I liked the research problems that connected to engineering education. Like whenever I have an issue that always drives me, whether it's into my in my business or if it's in um, the area that I want to study. And I just feel that the questions I had about equity connected back to higher education, mm-hmm. particularly how I was at Spelman and I just felt the love, the support, um, the nurturing. But when I went to a PWI, I was like, what's, what's happening over here? Like, what's going on? And why are women struggling? And you know, what's going on with, with the professors and why don't I see anyone who looks like me anymore? And I just started having so many questions and I wanted to answer those questions. I wanted to make sure that the experiences were better for people. And I feel like that was the industrial engineering part of me, you know, the solutions oriented person. So I combined, um, I think my natural, like my inquisitive nature with um, technology and with engineering for engineering education, it just made sense to me. How did you even know no, that was that a thing? Sense. Because <laughs> it, I, I, that's what I thought. Because I mean, it's new here, right? Like, yeah. I'm in a I'm in a department was, that I was told would never exist. Yeah, and she's a whole assistant professor in that non-existent department. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. So yeah, like in twenty, it was around two thousand four. I interviewed and. Purdue had the first Department of Engineering Education. And I remember when I interviewed, uh, there was a guy, Phil Wonkat, who introduced me. And he said, it's as if I had a crystal ball. And I always remembered that. He said, I had a crystal ball because I, my preparation uniquely um, prepared me for that position that did not exist. And it's because uh, when I was in higher ed, every thing that I did was connected to engineering education because I just knew that's what I was interested in. And so I, I pursued um, 
my passion and my interest. And I think that has helped me to always be at the forefront of anything. Like even with my business, Stop Stop Playing Diversity, um, you know, that's another example where I just got so fed up with higher education, having all these women of color programs and grants, but then the women of color have the same problems. Like, why are you giving millions of dollars to organizations that do nothing to help? That, you know, to they, I don't understand what they're doing. <laughs> so I said, We got the same issues. Yes, I'm gonna get my happy behind here. Trademark with my one of my one of my um Spellman sisters is a patent attorney, so she helped me with the whole like um trademarking for stop playing diversity. And I said, I'm just gonna start with, and I think you know, Kyla, I talked to you about merch and all this other stuff. I'm like, do this because you know, for my trademark, I had to have my um, you know, my uh, proof, my services, my goods, you know, have that. And I was like, well, I have to get some stuff out there, but. I just started listening to people Mm. on social media. I started putting stuff out. I started doing my own like digital guides. I started doing webinars because I said, this is what I wish I would have had. This is the way I think that that diversity should be done Mm -hmm. because it's what I need. So I just started thinking about that. So nobody gave you permission to do it? Nope. I said, I'm going to take it. And I think, I'm sure it was very aggressive to people in my environment to be like, is she just angry? And, you know, one of my sayings was, I'm not an angry black woman. I'm a black woman whose questions make people angry. Mm. And that's it. I'm just inquisitive. I need, I you need to put that on shit. <laughs> right. Because there's a lot of us. Yes. That was and, and it's true. Like, I just keep asking questions. And one of my friends talked about how she doesn't get the pushback. So she's a, she's a black woman as well. But she said, it's because I don't push against the system. Mm. I don't ask the question. I don't question the system, but I, I do. And if you look at my tweets, if you look at what's up, I'm always going to put something out there to be like, you know what? The system needs to do better. I'm just coming for you because I can. Every day when I wake up, I'm coming for you, system. And <laughs> I just will not back down because there is something that needs to be done and someone somewhere um, needs to see it. And so I'm just not that one who's like, oh, you know, I got my 40 acres and a mule. I'm okay. Right. I'm, I'm going to let people do what they do. No, until everybody is free, I'm coming for you. <laughs> okay. Mad today. Nobody did. <laughs> I just feel like telling you somebody somewhere needs this. So let's do it. So we talked about the system because as a grad student, you probably didn't see much of, you know, the inner workings of the system. So like, what did you learn about academia? Like as a faculty member and this whole system that you became a part of unknowingly? She said that's a whole podcast episode. (laughs) (laughs) Faculty Different than administrator too. Mm. So Mm -hmm. what did I learn? Um, Man, this is a good question because it's different everywhere, every and in every level. So we'll say the first transition from uh, under from grad student to faculty, you know, trying to get tenure. Yeah. Um. What did I learn? I learned that you had to conform. Hmm. Like you were expected. You didn't have to. You were expected to conform, particularly in STEM. Particularly, I think in engineering there's a way that things have always been done. And when you come in as a first or an only, people don't have 
a frame of reference. Hmm. They they can't see anything other than that. it's like you're almost like the brown person who just does everything that everyone else does. And the nuances um, cause friction. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just little things like every day. And I learned that I thought I was there to like teach my students, but I was teaching staff. I was, I was teaching like the, the entire department and the university about how to engage. And I was not prepared to do that. Like I didn't expect that mantle to be on me. And I think that many people are not. And so at the time I trademarked prepared to be a pioneer because one of my sayings was I was prepared, prepared to be a professor. I was not prepared to be a pioneer. That is not what I was there to do. You know, all the grant writing, like you talked about Carrie and Rockamore. Yeah. Like grant writing, advise students, write papers. That is what grad students are taught to do, you know, future faculty, that is it. But there's a whole like intersectionality piece that was missing. And it was just the isms that that caused the mental angst and all the the things that kept me from being really happy and effective. Um, Well, I was effective, but happy. I wasn't always happy. Um, I would say the transition to an administrator was hard. It was harder because I was young. I was 39 years old when I became a department chair. Wow. Um, I became a you see professor why you when I was goals. 39 years Child, old. See what I'm saying? You better do it. <laughs> yeah. So in 10 years, after getting my PhD, I'd gone from assistant to associate to full professor and department chair. So 10 years. A boss. And you switched universities too. Yes. Yes, I did. Oh, thank you. And I mean, now I'm a distinguished professor. So I became a distinguished professor when I was like 45. And so that's like, you know, the the next level. Mm-hmm. And I guess my point is there there, there are several points, but I'll, I'll kind of come back with the lesser point right now. And that I feel like I peaked. I peaked really early, you know, and I, and I do acknowledge that. And I still have, you know, so many years left, but I have to be careful not to be bored. <laughs> And that may sound weird too. No, like you know, graduate, but as know, someone I, who sees you on this continual upward trajectory, I don't, I don't see how you peaked early or just peaked in the way the academia expected you yes. to, and not your own personal brand. Just like the academic side, yes, the academic path. You know, it's like check, mm. check, check, check. Tenure, oh, big, big, I, yeah, big. you did a lot of stuff young. Absolutely. So that means you you're know, an I, achiever. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you know, but, but it's like, what do I say? And this almost sounds like academic blasphemy. Once you once you write so many grants, you know how to do it. Um, you graduate ten PhD students, you know it. You know you start a department that didn't exist. I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? A whole like degree it, program, nothing big, y'all. <laughs> such it was. There was no blueprint, and it was just so challenging. Mm-hmm that I don't know if in academia there is anything that will be as challenging to me or for me because it was just so like how many people start something from scratch like you literally don't have policies and you have to look and you have to create it you have to hire We're in it now track felt for the first time but it is it is a yeah. moment an absolute moment and and you know they are connected to like being president of the United States like you do it and you're like it's hard and then afterward, you're like, yeah, like, Barack, I'm going to start a media company or I'm going to do something because you're at that moment 
where it's like all your leadership coming into one space that is so unique, you know, really leading at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, you see these once in a lifetime things and you learn and it's like, I can't just go back to who I was mm -hmm. because I am so different and I've learned so much and I have so much more to give. And that's where I'm also really trying to figure out what my next is going to be. And I don't know if I already, if I said this on the recording or if I said it just before, but I do get opportunities to be a Dean. You know, I get opportunities to apply for provost positions and presidents, but they don't feel right to me because um, I expect more. I've changed and I can't put the old me into these positions because the positions have not evolved enough given where I am in my life. I will, you know, these are $300,000, $400,000 jobs, but the money doesn't move me because if the system and the environment is not progressive, no amount of money will satisfy me. Yeah. And I wake up hating your job. You're like, why am I here? What am I doing? That's it. We're, and I and I think that's just an aha moment. We're team protect your peace on this podcast. So yes, we, we are. touch and agree. And oh, thank you. I would I would not put myself in a in a situation where like at this point I think I'm done. Like we're not going places where I feel uncomfortable, where I have to work with people I don't want to work with, like I, right. I don't have to do that for the sake of what? Yeah. For like, why? <laughs> I will leave. I will. Yeah. Yeah. And that's power. That's power. And I think, you know, so often we have not realized that we have that power and we don't, mm -hmm. we don't operate in it. And I think when people realize they have choices, right. Even when they think they don't have choices, that's when you really are powerful. When you don't need a title, but you realize you're a leader. And that's another aha. So you want to know, like, Kelly, you're, you're asking me this. What is my aha? You know, I had, it was contentious. Oh my gosh, my time was contentious as a department chair. And I was not reappointed as department chair. Um, I really pushed hard against the system. And I think the system was not going to change. And I just you know, I was like, it has to change for my piece and, and you know, for whatever. And, and we just didn't see eye to eye. But um, I just, I had to come to grips with the fact that if I never had another title, I was still a leader. And if I never got the money that connected to the title, I'm still a leader. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole different mindset for people who are high achievers, uh, for people who are used to that external validation, because higher education is all about that validation. And, um, you know, you talked a little bit about Twitter. And I feel that's, it, that's interesting, because it also is a form of leadership that I sometimes forget. Mm -hmm. And to know that tweet something and like one of the aha moments is that a woman connected me only connected to me on LinkedIn and she told me she'd been following me. She said she quit her job after 10 years because I talked about um, deserving better. And to have someone just say, because of your words, you know, I, I quit. And the thing that always connects with me 
is that there was a woman, um, a grad student who connected to me and she said that she was going through a hard time and she had thought about taking her life, but my words kept her moving. And um, it, it always gets me because it's just, it's just that part where I'm having to change my thinking and realize that it is a form of ministry. Mm -hmm. And I never thought that I would be in this space. This was not the path that I thought. I was going to be the university president. I was going to be the one who had the formal position, but I feel that I am being led into these spaces where I can write something and someone feels that they have hope. That's, mm -hmm. I don't know, That's it makes beautiful. me teary because- That's huge. I don't know. You have- Like how do you- You have power, it's, it's, you have influence, and huh. I mean, I, I'll and tell a, a quick story. So before we end, I feel like this is kind of really important because we've met multiple times, right? Like throughout my trajectory. Um, and I mm -hmm. remember, you know, after my fangirl moment in the conference, I was invited to Ohio State um, mm. to be a part of a study. And yeah. I remember like coming into this conference room space and like sitting down and you came in, you sat down in the chair next to me and you said, why don't I know you? <laughs> and I was like, um, I don't know. And then you said, tell me about you. And we started talking mm. and you didn't want me to leave. So I guess like mm. you had a lunch break coming up and you were like, can you go with me? And we just oh, talked. Yeah. We talked yeah. for it. And like, so we interviewed and then we just talked. Yes. And for me, like someone who was in a, I was in a place where like I'd had a very difficult experience in my PhD. And then I had the chance to talk to the Monica Cox, right? Like I called people, I called uh, Lauren mm -hmm. Thomas and I was like, Lauren, mm -hmm. do you know Monica? Am I safe going here? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so when, really? when I talked to you, I was like, this is it. This is like, I'm meeting the person that I know that I can be one day. So following oh, you on social media you. has been cool, but then like reconnecting with you again and again. So like we connected at Lattice, right? And we had mm -hmm. way too much fun on that little <laughs> island, cutting up, being ridiculous <laughs> together. Um, I remember meeting your son for the first time at a conference mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. um, I found out later that I was pregnant, right? So it's like all these things, just like things are happening that connect us. Yes. Yeah. And it means a lot to like see you continue to do the work that I feel like you were called to do because it encourages Thank me you. to do the work that I'm called to do. So having a chance yeah. to tell your story and let people know like where you come from with what you're saying is from a place of, we should all be able to go to work and mm. be ourselves. We should be able to yeah. walk through life and be ourselves and not in a way Absolutely. that's like, you know, if you're a terrible, awful, hateful person, like that's a very different conversation, <laughs> be be a different but person. like, <laughs> I shouldn't have to hide that. Like I like to put my hair in braids sometimes, 
And some yeah. days, like, I'm just not going to do my fro. It's going to look a hot mess. But that's because of the day that I'm having. And, like, either way is respected. I might want to wear a yeah. whole face of makeup tomorrow and some ridiculous yes. shoes because I can. But right. the next day I might want to wear a t-shirt and chill. Like, and that's okay. Right? Like, we it should is. be able to, to be ourselves at work. And you are telling people that's okay. It I don't know why that's and problematic. I, think, I know. You know what? I mean, so something that's coming to me too. I'm also, you know, a person of faith. And um, I was never, it's funny. For men, I was like, am I going to be a pulpit minister? And I was like, no, I'm not going to be a pulpit minister. But there are so many ways that we do, you know, minister to people. And um, I read this author, Dr. Miles Monroe, um, who's passed away and he talks about like dying, dying empty. And that has always stayed with me. You know, he talks about, um, how there's so much potential in the graveyard. They're the richest places on earth because, you know, people didn't write the, they didn't compose songs or they didn't write the books that they were supposed to write. And I feel that this is a moment for me and that I always thought I would be like, just do my research but the way that I have to move is like bringing that ministry to people who don't have hope, to people who don't know um, that they can be free, you know, in the workplace. And so it's it's a the mantle is heavy. I would say that there has been a lot, and and I gave a presentation as I went through some legal things. I went through so much drama at the Ohio State University. Oops, the Ohio State University, which is really like you said where I am. I've gone through a lot. And um, you know, to whom much is given, much is required, that is true. But I also tell people, you know, I felt what it was like. Like like there's this um scripture that talks about, you know, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I've seen that. And what you see in my words is my coming out of that. You see what it's like when you have been in the the pit, when you have been, you know, in prison, when there were not people who had your back, mm -hmm. like even when your supervisor abandoned you, when your colleagues were not courageous enough to speak up for you. I know what that's like. And I just promised that I would never be the person who would abandon people. And so I feel like that's where my message resonates because you have to be courageous to do this work. If you say that you're going to be an activist, if you say that you're going to be a disruptor, that is just not a word. That is something that comes with scars and um, beatings and abandonment. But if you are true to that, people will be free. That's like the Moses moment. And um I guess one of the last things I'll say, and, you know, I want to thank you for the things that you are saying, because I will admit I do have moments when, you know, I help people and, you know, they get theirs, but it still looks like I haven't gotten mine. And the thing that continues to come to me um, is that I don't do what I do so other people will struggle. I do it so they're free. And so I have to remember that too. When I see people who ascend, that is success. Mm -hmm. And it's not always like, oh my gosh, Monica, you have to be this person with this money, with this title. No, like maybe that's what that person needs. Mm -hmm. But 
I don't know. There's something here for your listeners. Like, I just feel like you just have to dig in really deep to do this work because it doesn't, the return does not always come in the way that you think it's going to come. And if you are validated only by those kinds of returns, then this may not be the work that you need to do. And it's so counter to academic academia because everything's so subjective. It's about what your peers think, what your peers say, how they evaluate you. But it's like, no, this is actually about how I feel about myself. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you for talking to us about all of the things. I mean, we didn't even mention all of the things, right? Like you're a co-founder of Black in Engineering, right? Like this whole Black in X network. Do you want to give a plug for Black in Engineering real quick for folks that don't know what it is? Yeah. um, You know what? Black in Engineering is a group of over 400 Black engineering professionals um, who are really passionate about social justice. So it emerged after the murder of George Floyd. And we have a call to action at blackandengineering.org. And we're really just trying to make sure that our voices are heard and we are a community that comes together so that we all make it to where we need to be whole and and successful. That was really good. That's awesome. <laughs> it's like you just had it there waiting to be yes. said. In my heart, it's in my spirit. That's <laughs> yes. it. When it's authentic, it is there. Thank you. Okay. So Thank how you. do people find you? on the internet because we talked about how you're on the internet but we didn't say how to find you um so i'm at dr monica cox dr monica cox um on all social media platforms and i'm on linkedin uh you can email me info at dr monica cox.com go to my website as well um what else you can contact me at work but just know i work at a public institution so don't (laughs) tell Um, so, you know, it's not tough. But really, I mean, it's on social, you know, DM me, um, at me, because I feel like that is where the action happens. And it is just where I really want to share this message that is bigger than academia, which is really funny. Yes. I didn't tell you about too much of my research papers. I mean, I told you about my book, but... We might have to other- come back for another episode, too, to, to get into those, because... There's a lot of ground here to cover. Absolutely. Women of color, what we've learned um, just about wage disparities, what's happening, how we need to, to get organizations to, to do better. Yeah. There's a lot. There's so much, y'all. <laughs> That's why she's There's distinguished. She's distinguished. Distinguished yeah. professor. <laughs> Not a game. Not always. We're going to have to have you back because we need to get into some of this work you've been Mm -hmm. doing. Like we scratched the surface, but we need to definitely have you back so we can get even more depth there. Thank you. Yeah. I'm so proud of you all. I'm giving you all a shout out too because I love, you know, lifting up my sisters and I'm like, man, y'all are trailblazers. Just doing what you do with your podcast. Like I know I have my little podcast. It's just me talking. Stop playing diversity, you know, podcast, just talking it out because I didn't have anybody to talk to. Uh, so I was like, let me just talk to the. Uh, hey, we'll come on and be guests. We'll come on and be guests. I have to, I have to get my my infrastructure right to have some guests. But I would definitely invite you um, to do that. But yeah, like you all are doing it. Like you all are bold. Um, you're really connecting the community. You are scholars in your own right. I mean, just amazing. Just rolling. 
We are you trying. Are We're trying. <laughs> you are doing it. Y'all are right. Okay, Kyla's doing, and I am in progress. <laughs> really? <laughs> Look, I got tenure. I'm trying to figure out how to be an academic troublemaker. Like, that is the next line on my resume. And I need to just figure out what venue of trouble I would like to make because it's a whole lot that needs to change. Mm -hmm. And we don't, in my opinion, we don't need to be in these spaces if we're not disrupting stuff. So, but I want to strategically disrupt things. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> and you know, you have to learn the system. You have to learn the system so you can tear the system down. Hello. People are like, oh, you complain so much about academia. Why are you there? I'm like, you can't disrupt from the outside. You got to be inside to disrupt. You can't hate from I'm outside. I'm a civil engineer. <laughs> I understand structures. I'm going to break some stuff down. That's how I feel. <laughs> exactly. I love that. And I think you know, my Spelman sister, Stacey Abrams, has a book, um, Leading from the Outside. And I think it's really interesting because she does talk about that. And I've always had this, you know, mentality of like, yes, you can be an insider, you're in the structure, but I feel like you can also lead from the outside as well. You know, leadership is in both spaces. And so wherever you find yourself, um, really connect to your communities and do what you can so that you can make sure the environment's equitable for everyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yay. Thank you, Monica. Yeah, well, thank you. Yes, this has been great. Thank you for having me. As always, you can find us on our website, modernfigurespodcast.com. Send your questions to ask us at modernfigurespodcast.com. And follow us on Twitter. Kyla is at Dr. Underscore Kyla, and I am at Jeremy Waysom. Visit modernfiguresinc.com to learn more about our nonprofit organization aimed at promoting and engaging with women and girls interested in science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and of course, computing. Until next time, stay moisturized, hydrated, mind your business, and protect your peace. <laughs>